0: This morning, we're going to continue our sermon series on Psalm 23. Before we do, I just want to share with you that about an hour and a half ago, many of you know my grandmother, Jean. She's been with our church for eight years. And as a matter of fact, she was the first person saved here. It was either the first week or second week, but she was the first person saved in our church. Uh, Pretty much set right up here for a long time and uh, had a bad cough. I'm sure you remember that. And uh, that was one of the reasons that um, she ended up staying at home. Anytime she got out of the out of the house, her allergies caused her to cough uncontrollably. And so, um, if you haven't seen her for a while, that's why she lives with my mom and dad. And she had a massive heart attack this morning. I do not know the situation. All I know is she was en route to the hospital. It is possible that it was life um, threatening. Well, it was life threatening. It's possible. That She might pass and so we're going to pray for her in just a moment I did make the decision with my parents to stay here and to preach and so I left my phone on They were supposed to contact me if she did pass before 1030 I have not been contacted and I turned it off so that even if it buzzes down there it does not distract me but uh, obviously um, Difficult for me this morning and so I covet your prayers that God would help me to stay focused on the word this morning and deliver it uh, in a way that would change lives. Amen? So, we're going to pray for service, but I also ask that you just join me in praying for my grandmother at this time. Amen? Lord, we love you. So grateful for your presence here this morning. Grateful that you are a God who knows what we need and when we need it. Uh, Lord, as a church, we come right now and we lift our prayers to heaven's throne. We ask God that you would have your divine hand in this situation with my grandmother. Uh, God, we are grateful, Lord, that no matter what happens, we have the blessed assurance of knowing, uh, God, that she's heaven bound. And Lord, we just pray this morning for her. We pray for your touch upon her life, upon her body. Pray for my parents, God, that you'd give them peace at this moment. And Lord, we pray now for service. God, we've gathered to hear the Word of God preached. Lord, we've gathered because we know that we need you. And I ask now that you would anoint me, Lord, to preach this morning in the power of your Spirit. God, that You would help me, Lord, to have clarity of thought, God, to preach Your Word like it should be preached. We pray, God, that You would touch our hearts, God, that You would open the ears of our hearts that we can truly hear what Your Word is trying to speak to us. Open our spiritual eyes, God, that we can see and understand the application of Your Word to us as individuals. Lord, we pray this morning as we are reminded of the breath of this life and how quickly life can be uh, gone. We pray this morning that if there be any here that are lost, that God today would be the day that they run to You and find salvation in Your arms. That today would be the day they turn to You and find life that only You can give. Lord, we ask God that You would have Your way with us this morning. God, I ask again that You would have Your touch upon me God, direct my words, direct my thoughts, and God, may it all be for Your glory and Your glory alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us read together Psalm 23 again and pick back up in the third portion of this sermon series. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. This morning, I want us to look at verse 2. It's taken us two weeks to get through verse 1. Today, we'll get through verse 2 as we look at, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. The Lord makes me to lie down. What does it mean that God makes us to lie down? This is such a beautiful analogy from the beginning to the end of a shepherd and his relationship to sheep. But in all honesty, we're not sheep. We don't have four hooves. We don't have wool that needs to be cut off so that we don't heat up during the summer. We don't eat grass. This is a picture of God's relationship to us as His people. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep. One of the interesting things I found out about sheep is that sheep are difficult to get to lie down. And the reason is because sheep are, while they're dumb animals, they're at least smart enough to know they cannot protect themselves. They know that they are in constant danger unless there is a shepherd protecting them. And sheep will not go to sleep. They will not lie down if they're anxious, if they're fearful, if they're worried, if there's any sense that something might be wrong. And if you ever see a a, a herd of sheep that are sleeping, it can be something as simple as a little dog running through the meadow barking. And all of those sheep will wake up and jump to their feet and look around to see what's going on. And so when the Word of God tells us that He makes us to lie down, there is this deep insinuation that He gives us the peace necessary to have rest in our souls. And this thought of rest is something that, that Jesus spoke of when He was here. He said, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, come to Me and I will give you rest. And he was speaking of rest for the soul. I'm here to tell you this morning that God can give you rest for your soul. But in order to rest, we've got to have peace of mind, peace of heart, contentment. We must be willing to trust God even in the midst of difficulty. Even when everything around us doesn't seem to make sense, we have to learn to be content. Paul made that general statement that I've learned to be content in whatever state that I am. The word contentment is a word that comes from two Latin words. Con plus tenio. And it literally means to hold together. Did you know that's what the word contentment means? It means to hold together. It's the opposite of falling apart. That's exactly what it is. And Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. I know what it is to to be abased. I know what it is to abound. He said, I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to be well fed. I know what it is to to have everything in, in place. And I know what it is to not have any idea if I'm going to wake up tomorrow or not alive. He said, but in whatever situation, I've learned to be content. This is the goal of God for God's people. And if we are mistaken to think that it's all about this world around us and everything fitting and everything making sense and everything being peaceful and everything working like it should, you'll never find contentment. We sing that song, if you're looking for contentment in the things that you can see, you're going to find some disappointment. And that is the truth. Real contentment and real peace of heart does not come from a world that is favorable to me, but it comes from knowing that the Lord is my shepherd and that my God is bigger and more powerful than all the circumstances of this world. That my God is the God that created the heavens and the earth. He makes us to lie down. No one can give peace like God. Too often we're frightened, we're fearful, we're anxious. And you don't have peace for the soul in a time when you're, when you're frightened, when you're fearful, when you're anxious. I want you to listen this morning to the man of God. God wants you to have peace. God wants you to be free from anxiety and fear and worry. But the way that God accomplishes that it's not by removing all the obstacles in our life that are contrary to us. It's by turning our focus away from those things to heaven and being reminded that our God is on the throne that He knows our needs, that He sees us, that He knows our thoughts, that He loves us, that He cares for us like a good Father, that He tends to us like a good shepherd, and that no matter what may come against us, He is able to do above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's when we take our eyes off of this world and off of the stresses of life and off of the struggles and the pains, it's when we take our eyes off of those things and look towards heaven and be reminded of, who our God is, that peace begins to sink deep in the soul. And we find that even as David said, we can find rest in the midst of war. Even though our enemies may, may be overwhelming to us, we can rest in peace because we know our God will wake us back up in the morning. He makes us to lie down. Spiritually speaking, God has come to give us peace. Rest to the soul. Jesus is that rest. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. I want to ask you this morning, do you have rest for your soul? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Are you fearful? And if so, why? If so, what is it that causes you to be worried And anxious and fearful. He makes me to lie down, but where? The Bible says, in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. When the Bible tells us the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As we've already looked in the weeks prior to this, God is the provider of everything we need. We shall not lack anything that we need because God is our shepherd. might not always look like we think it should look. It might not always come on the timetable we think it should come on. It might not always work out in the way that we think it should work out. But God has promised that He is the meter of our needs, that He has all grace towards us that we might be abound in all things and in all sufficiency for all good work. And God is our provider. In essence, really, the remainder of Psalm 23, verses 2 through 6, are a discourse on all that God provides. The point is made in verse 1. God is my shepherd, so I shall not want. And then the rest of this chapter, God tells us what we will not want, what we will not lack. We will not lack peace because He makes us to lie down in green pastures. We will not lack provision. He leads us by still waters. We will not lack hope and encouragement, because He restores the soul. We will not lack guidance, because He leads us in the paths of righteousness. We will not lack deliverance in tough times, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will not lack companionship, because God is with us. We will not lack protection, because His rod and staff Comfort us. And we will not lack the abundant life because our cup overflows. We will not lack anything because goodness and mercy follow us. And we will not lack eternal heavenly home. Because we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what Psalm 23 is about. And if you were to sum up provision in this realm and and, and paint a picture of it, it would be the green pastures of the sheep. Lush green pastures, a place to feed upon, nourishment for the soul. This morning I try to speak spiritual words to a spiritual people. You will never be satisfied spiritually. You will never find peace in your soul. You will never grab a hold of the peace that transpasses understanding until you understand what you need to be feasting upon. What are the green pastures that we need to be eating and taking in? It is the Word of God. It is the promises of God, which she just sang about a few moments ago. You can try to feast on everything this world has to offer. And no matter how great it seems at first, and no matter how... Remember we talked last week about marketing and how we are in a culture that tries to convince us, if you don't have this thing or this product or that product, you're missing something. You can chase it all. You can chase a family. You can try to find your purpose and your meaning in marriage, in children, in success, in wealth, in things, in accumulating things, in accumulating wealth. And you will find that eventually it still leaves you bankrupt. You will find that eventually it it turns to gravel in your mouth. The, The water turns bitter in your mouth. And you are left wondering there has to be more purpose than this. Because the nourishment for the soul is in the green pastures of the word of God. It's there where we come to know him. It's there where He tells us who He is and reveals Himself to us so that in times of trouble, we can be reminded of the Word of God. We can be reminded that our God is with us, that He will not forsake us, that even in the shadow of death, God is there. He is with us in that place. He is with us on the mountain. He is with us in the valley. And He is with us everywhere in between. No matter what I face, my God is with me so I can rest secure. I can have peace of mind. I can have peace of heart because no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, my God is a God who can take all things and turn them up on their head and cause them to work out for my good. He leads us to green pastures. Most Christians who are unsatisfied in their Christian walk are those who refuse to eat what God wants them to eat. They are those who are really trying to lead the shepherd rather than be led by the shepherd. They are those who have already determined what life should look like and their goal is to hopefully get a shepherd that will take them there. We've got to learn to trust God. We've got to learn to obey this. We sing the song sometimes, it's so simple, but trust and obey. We've got to trust God and obey God. And he leads us. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. I can't help but think about David writing, and it's my personal opinion based upon my studies that this specific reference is tied to, whether he wrote it then or whether he wrote it later looking back on, I believe it is tied to his days when he was running from Saul. And I believe that there were times in David's life when he was out, like all of us, wondering, God, when when am I going to be king? When will the fulfillment of your promise in my life take place? And. And, and, and why, if you are, if you have blessed me, and if you have called me, and if you have anointed me, and if you have a purpose and a will for my life, then, then why am I out here running for my life? Why are we sleeping in caves? Why do we have no idea when we will ever be safe? And as he, a man, just like you and I, would have those thoughts running around in his head, he would also see the green pastures. He would be reminded of the tranquility and the safety of the sheep that he once used to care for. God would speak to his heart, reminding him, David, I'm still God. And you don't understand my ways. And you didn't know that this was all part of my great lifelong plan for your life. But you are safe, son. You are fed. You've got people that are with you, that believe in you, they're they're on your side. You're not out here all alone. Just trust me. And as I think about that picture, I'm reminded of something. I'm reminded of the truth that in life, it's not one or the other, it's almost always both. It's good and it's bad at the same time. There's some great things going on. There's there's some clear direction of God in my life. And then there's on the other hand, I've got, I've got trials and I've got struggles and it's not easy. And at the same time in life, we find that sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Some things I understand and some things I clearly see where life is headed. Other things I've got no idea whatsoever. That's Christian living. I want to tell you that you, you have to be prepared for opposition in your life. You, you've got to be prepared for it, brother. You've got to be prepared for it, sister. We would, we would hope. We would think. Man, if I turn my life over to God and I'm just trying to serve God and I'm just trying to help people and I'm just trying to do what is right, that, that everybody would think that was honorable. That everybody would come alongside and say, hey, good for you. They don't. Some people do, some people don't. You know what you find is that the more that you do for God, the more that you're faithful to God, the more that you're willing to say, God, I embrace all that You are and I will trust You and I will obey You and I will follow You. Wherever You lead, God, I will go. You will find that the people who believe in You, the people who support You, the people who are for You will grow in number. But you will also find that the people who don't support You and the people who are against You and the people who want to stop You dead in Your tracks will grow in equal number. We see it in the life of Jesus. The Pharisees never had a problem with Jesus as long as he wasn't impacting people's lives. But once Jesus started changing lives, once people started being healed, once people started saying, have you heard about the man that has the power of God? Have you heard about the man that healed the blind and healed the sick? And then Jesus, not only did he heal him, not only did he, did he feed him, not only did he do the miraculous, then he started teaching him. And they would come and He would teach. And the people, as they begin to, to grow in number of their support for the Lord Jesus, so too did the number of His haters grow equally. I'm here to tell you it's part of it. Especially if you're in any, any level of Christian leadership, you've got to be prepared for it. I used to be surprised at some of the level of hatred directed towards me at times. I've learned it's just part of the thing. It's just what it is. Not everybody's happy that we're telling people about Jesus. Not everybody's happy that we're preaching the gospel. Not everybody is for us. And once upon a time when my message was small and my reach was little, it didn't seem like I had a lot of opposition. But you would be surprised the level at times of hatred that comes from the people in this world. Now I'm talking about lying down in green pastures. I'm talking about peace. I could go on for for a long time. And I don't want to give you a pity party about me. I've been compared to Hitler. I've been... and, And for real, not as a joke, not as someone just messing around. I've been accused of hating gays and being filled with hatred towards anybody other that was different from me. Now, you all know that's not true. You know that. But I've been accused of it and I've been accused of it frequently. I've been called horrible things. Terrible names. Sometimes it's even posted public for the whole world to see. And you know what you could do if if you're in that situation? You could start to say, woe is me. This isn't fair. This isn't right. So on one hand, there's haters. But on the other hand, over here, we have lives being changed. People who do know the truth. People And I have to remind myself, you know what? The whole world is not against me. That's what the devil wants you to think. The whole world is against you. The whole world is not against me. I've got a lot of friends. I've got a lot of people who love me. I've got people who care for me. I've got people. We're on the same team. We're on the same side. You've got my back and I've got your back. And I've got to remind myself that at the same time where there's difficulty over here, on this side we've got greatness and goodness over here. And I've got to be able to realize that in the midst of it all, God is still in control. And He makes me to lie down. I can go to bed at night and know I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it. We're going to make it, brothers and sisters. We're going to do this. We are going to come out on the other side. And as the song said, we might have to walk through chilly Jordan to get into the promised land. But we're going to get there and God is waiting for us on the other side. Amen? He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me. God leads us. He is a leader. It's in His nature. It's what He does. He leads us. I'm probably the only person in here this morning that's guilty of this a lot. But generally, as people, we have a hard time being led. It's not that God is not involved. It's not that God is not trying to help us. It's that often we just don't want to be led. But I'm here to tell you something. God will lead. God will never stop leading. God, It's in His nature to lead. Whatever the need is in your life this morning, I pray that God would help somebody to hear me this morning because I'm preaching whatever the need is in your life. God is trying to lead you where you need to go. He is actively pursuing you. He is actively trying to lead you where you're supposed to go. The question is, are you hearing? The question is, when you do hear, are you willing to say, yes, God, I will go. Yes, God. See, sometimes where God leads us, it's exciting. Sometimes where God leads us, there's a sense of, yes, I want to get there. I cannot wait. But sometimes God says, we need to deal with you first. And if you want to get here, you've got to let me deal with something in here. And so let me lead you in here first and deal with you. But if we're not willing to say yes. God, I don't want to deal with me. Let's just go. Let's just do work. Let's just do ministry. Let's just uh, let's just start this new career. Let's just start this business. Let's just... Let's just do the exciting things. Let's just do those things. If you're not willing to let God first lead you to deal with the stuff in you that He wants to lead you to, the leading stops. And I don't mean God gives up, and I don't mean that God goes. See, God has a process. God knows the direction. God knows the order in which it needs to happen in your life. And unlike us, you know, we've got 70 years at most, maybe 80 if you live a long life. God's eternal, brothers and sisters, His patience will outrun ours. I promise you that. And God has the ability to just kind of fold the arms as a loving Father, as a good shepherd, and say, well, I'm going to lead you, but until we deal with this first, I'm not leading you any further. This is the next step. This is what you need to do. This is what I want to deal with in your life. And if you say, God, I don't want to deal with that, but I want to go somewhere else, and I want to keep moving on, God just kind of says, well, I'll just sit and wait out. We'll just see who wins this one. Because I have a will for your life. And 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 God says, I see the beginning from the end. You think you're prepared for this and you're ready to go. But I know some stuff you're going to deal with here that you don't know about. And so I know you're not as prepared as you think you are. And so trust me, God says. Trust me. Trust me and obey me. Let me lead you the way I know best. Let me work on you the way that I know best. God says, I created you. I made you. You are uniquely you. Not only did I create you and did I make you, therefore, I know how you work. I know how you think. I know what you need. But I also know your future. I know what you're going to face. I know what's coming up down the road. And I am preparing you for where I'm leading you later. But let me lead you now to deal with you. And this dealing with me is the part so often we, we kind of put our hands up to. It's like, man, let's go to church. Let's hear the preacher preach. Let's read about us going out and doing something. And we should go out and do something. We should. We should be reaching this world. The church is a living organism that should be impacting our culture. We should be doing something. But if we're not willing to first let God do something in us, God won't do something through us. And I have learned it's when God wants to do something in me that I typically, I'm not as easily led. It's when we start to make up the excuses for why what we're doing is not really wrong. You know, I've argued with God before for a long time, long, long time, but it was not sin. So this can't be God because it's not sin and God convicts of sin. This is just me. Paul said that while all things are expedient or lawful, uh, while all things are lawful, they're not expedient. In other words, they don't necessarily help. Just because I have got freedom doesn't mean I should. You know, sometimes there's things in our lives that pull us away from God, and I'm not here to tell you what your conviction should or shouldn't be. I'm just giving examples. I know people that are addicted to television or addicted to Facebook. Is it a sin to get on Facebook? No, of course it's not a sin to get on Facebook. But is it a sin to be so addicted to it that you, you neglect reading and you neglect prayer and you neglect time with God in order just to see whatever else around you in the world's doing? Probably. And so, see, God might be dealing with an individual about a certain thing in their life God's dealt with me on similar issues in my life. And I'm saying, well, it's not sin. You know, so it must not be God. And and I know that God's a God of grace. And so, and and so, and then we start to fight these things that God's trying to lead us to. And if you've been fighting God about giving something up in your life, if you've been fighting God about maybe taking the next step in your Christian living, if you've been fighting God about maybe something um, that, that, that you feel like He's been pulling you towards, Can I encourage you? Trust the Good Shepherd. His plan and His will for your life is is so much more vast than anything you could ever imagine. And the sooner that we learn to just let God lead, the sooner we learn to just say, God, yes. I might not fully understand it. And in my mind, I'm kind of arguing with you like you don't know best. But God, I trust you and I know that you're good and I know that you love me. So the answer is yes. You'll find that sometimes in your life, the very thing God's dealing with, He didn't really want in the first place. He just wanted to know it was you. This is the story of Abraham and Isaac. God said, Abraham, you've wanted a son for over a hundred years. I finally give you a son, the son of promise, your own son from your own seed. And now I'm going to let you have him for a while. We know that Isaac was old enough to carry wood on his back. He wasn't a toddler. This wasn't his infant, so I mean, not that he loved him anymore, but because he was older. But he had time to bond; they had time to build a relationship. This is his only son. God says, "Now I want you to sacrifice him." And Abraham passes the greatest test of his life, and he takes his son and he lays his son on the altar. The Bible says he raised the knife, and the voice of God came from heaven, said, "Abraham, now I'm going to tell you." what he what in essence what what was said god said abraham it wasn't really isaac that i wanted i just i wanted you and i had to know that i had you and i wanted you to prove that i had you all along this wasn't really about isaac and now that i see that you haven't withheld isaac from me i'm not going to take him now i'm not guaranteeing that god's not going to take whatever he's trying to lead you to possibly give up but my point is this so often, God's just after us. What are the things that you're holding on to this morning because you're afraid to give them up in order to really receive God? The devil wants us to think that it was already said earlier, as we, as, as we read about as, as Jesse read the, the scripture and talked about trying to hold on to, to, to God and to the world. The devil wants you to think that if you totally surrender to God, you've given up so much over here. What is it that you're holding on to? Because you're afraid to let it go. That's keeping you from God this morning. Let God lead you. And finally this morning, where does He lead us? By the still waters. Still waters. Something else that I learned about sheep is that when it comes to drinking, about the only thing that they'll drink, is totally still water. Now, the reason why is because sheep are terrible swimmers. And it makes sense. They're full of wool. All over them. I mean, could you imagine putting on a wool coat and going for a swim? It'd be hard to do. And so, sheep, they they don't like swimming. And... Most of them are so terrified of it they won't even go near water that's moving. There's some some shepherds have said that when they water their sheep even though the place that they water them is safe, even though it's the place that the sheep have drank for for years, drank from for years, when the hose is going and there's noise of water, they back away no matter how thirsty they are. And they will wait until He turns the water off and the water becomes still and there's no noise before they'll come up and drink. That's why sheep need still waters. I heard that, I read that, and I I started thinking about how true that is when it comes to us really drinking in the life-giving Spirit of the Lord, the life-giving Word of God. You know how difficult it is to really take it in when you're anxious, you know how hard it is to truly receive the word of God and to, to hear the spirit of the Lord speak to you and to take it and receive it when you're worried. When you're fearful, when you're rushed. Many of you over the years have heard me make a similar statement to this. But as a pastor, I realize the most important and greatest thing that I could ever do for God's people is push you as individuals into a deeper, personal walk with God. That's the goal. It's not to build a big church. It's not to be the greatest thing on the block. It's not to be any of that. It is to get people as individuals into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. And I believe that out of that... The church grows. Now that said, in order for this meaningful, deeper walk with God to happen, it means we must spend time with God. And here's what many of you have heard me say over the years. I've thought, God, how is that even possible in a society like ours? We are the most rushed people ever. We are rushed from the time we get up, all through the day, on the way home, to the activities at night. If you don't have extracurricular activities, you're still rushed. But I think about this generation of of people with kids that are in this sport, and that sport, and in this sport, and in three sports at the same time, and practice two practices on this day, and one practice on this day, and... One game on this day and another game on the next day, and, and we're trying to get church in there, and we're trying to work, and we're trying to do family activities, and we're just rushed, 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 rushed. And all the time God's trying to lead us. This is what He leads us there. The question is, do we go? By still waters. I want you to understand something about deep, authentic Christianity. It's not rushed. It's not chaotic. It's peaceful. It's quiet. Now, I'm not saying that if you're a quiet person, that in and of itself means you're spiritual. Don't misunderstand me. But people who are spiritual learn how to be quiet. Because God leads them by the still waters. You know, I have found... I can say without any hesitation whatsoever. I can study for a sermon. I can study for hours. My wife can uh, verify that fact sometimes on, on mo- Monday through Friday morning. Sometimes I'll sit at the table and study nothing but the Bible. Anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours. Writing down my thoughts. Studying. Studying reading commentaries from other people on certain passages, trying to just get every single nugget out of a passage. I can study that way. I can come to church and hear someone else preach and be ministered to. I plan on having that happening tonight. But there is nothing that has ever compared, as far as how much it's helped me, nothing has ever compared to when I do this, after I read, put it up, And I leave the house. And I have a rock here in in town. It's my rock. God put it there just for me. It's on a creek right here in town where there is no path for people to walk. And I go to that rock a lot of times and I sit there and I watch the water barely trickle and I sit there in total, complete silence. And I listen. And it is unbelievable how much more in that place of stillness what I read earlier starts to make sense. It's not just facts anymore on a page. I'm starting to see its application to me. And God is speaking to me and giving me the depth of the meaning of His Word. It's in that place of stillness. Is in that place of quietness. When I give God the opportunity to speak to me, to speak to my heart, that I have been the most refreshed, that I have learned the most, that I have drawn the closest to God out of any of my experiences in my Christian living. And I have found, listen, it is important to develop those, that type of a lifestyle, period. You need to have it. If you do not have quiet time with God, personal alone, quiet time with God, I challenge you this morning as your pastor to take your Christian living to the next level, to the next phase and start spending quiet, alone time with God. Church services are good. we need to have them and the preaching needs to be good, and the singing needs to be real and and there's something about the community. this is good. Bible study is good. You need to know the Word of God. You need to be studying your Bible. But all of it ultimately is pushing us towards spending time with Him. And I want to encourage you to be spending alone time with God. Peaceful, calm, quiet, unrushed. You often will not receive the Word of God. If you're rushed. If you came and you've got something on your mind already. Got something going on. You won't receive it. We've got to learn to slow down. To be peaceful. To be calm. When our shepherd is near us, our minds can relax. Anxious thoughts retreat in the presence of the Lord. It's important to develop the quiet lifestyle as a way of life at all times. But I'm here to tell you, it is most helpful when you're facing battles. I wish I could tell you that I, without fail, all the time, found that place of quietness. But I don't. Here's what I can tell you. When I don't, those are the times that anxiousness and fear and worry and doubt seem to creep into my mind and my heart the most. I can almost look at myself, almost always, when I have dealt with anxiety and worry and fear kind of regularly for a a period of time, I can almost always look at those times. And here's what I can tell you. I was still studying. I was still preaching. Still doing ministry. Still doing all the stuff, the activities I was a go, 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 busy bee. But in that time, I had quit spending alone time in the quietness of God by the still waters. That's where peace is. That's where we meet with God and God meets with us. Isaiah 30 and 15 says, In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Job 24, 34, 29, when he gives quietness, who then can make trouble? Isaiah 7 and verse 4, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint hearted. Isaiah thirty two seventeen the work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. I think it's interesting in Hebrews 13, it says, keep your lives free from the lust for money. Be content. Remember that word content? Be content with what you have. Why? For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why we're supposed to be content. Not because I have everything else, but because I have God. And God is enough. He leads us. By the still waters. I'm going to ask our worship team to come this morning. And I want to ask you a few simple questions. Are you too rushed? If you are, I certainly pray that you don't feel condemned by me this morning because I know what it is to be rushed. The culture that we live in causes us to be rushed. But we can't just throw up our hands and say, well, it's just the world we live in. We've got to be able to examine our lives and ask ourselves, am I being proactive about spending time with God? Are you anxious this morning? Are you worried? Are you fearful? And if so, cast your cares upon the Lord. I'm not here to tell you this morning that whatever you're facing is not big. I'm just here to tell you that God's even bigger than that. I'm not here to tell you this morning that that, that maybe your enemies aren't real. I'm just here to tell you that God's greater than your enemies. And we need to get our eyes on Him. God gives rest for the soul. Maybe you're here this morning. The reality is you've never had rest for your soul. You've never truly been saved. If you're here and you're not saved, listen to me carefully. We're after you. We care about you. We care about your soul. The God that we serve sent His Son because He cared about our souls to die on our behalf and He died on your behalf too. And above all things, There is nothing more important to us here, and more importantly, there is nothing more important to God than seeing you saved. He doesn't want you to go to hell. We don't want you to go to hell. We love you. And even more importantly, He loves you. And if you've never known rest for your soul, if you've never turned from this world, if, if when I was talking about that person earlier that holds on to something because they're afraid to let go of it and truly turn to God, if that was you, I plead with you this morning, come to Jesus. Trust and obey. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be able to explain the great mysteries of the Bible. All you've got to know is that God loves you and is dealing with your heart and that if you come to Him honestly be willing to turn from your wrongs, to turn from your sins and follow Jesus. He will accept you. There is nothing that could happen greater than that this morning. Then I want to ask you, Christian. Christian. Are you allowing God to make you lie down? Do you really have rest for your soul? Can you really go to sleep at peace? Are you allowing God to lead you by the still waters? Or have you allowed the, the pace of life become so busy that it's like you just feed yourself Christian nuggets just to get enough strength to make it through the week? Enough strength to make it another day. God says, I want to feed you so much more than Christian nuggets. I want you to be full on the Word of God. I want your soul to find rest like you've never known. I want you to have peace that surpasses understanding. I want you to come away from all of that busyness and just spend some time with me, child where I can let my my spirit rush over you and remind you that I'm with you, that I'm for you, that I'm working it out for your good, that it's going to be okay, that I didn't bring you this far to leave you, that I am still God, and that I am still in control. And I'm telling you, it's when I get away to that place and God speaks that to my soul and to my spirit, that there's strength in me to rise up and say, you know what? It's not quite as bad as I thought it was. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it. God be led by the still waters. Lord I pray that you'd move across this room. I pray God that I said everything you'd have me to say nothing more nothing less and now God I pray that you'd do the real work of taking your word that went forth God that you'd help it to to take root in our hearts. In Jesus' name have your way with our people this morning